Well, this past week was unfortunately another that made it abundantly clear that there are things far more important than the sport we all love. Uh, Jacob Blake became just the latest black victim of police brutality in the United States when he was shot seven times in the back by officers in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, while trying to get into his car. Just days later, as protests broke out throughout the, throughout the city, a white teenager was allowed to walk freely through the protests with a gun in hand after allegedly killing two people further demonstrating the racial disparity that continues to exist on our continent. In response, the sports world took a stand, starting with the Milwaukee Bucks of the NBA, moving to the WNBA, MLS, MLB, and eventually the NHL. Athletes went on strike, forcing the postponement and cancellation of games. It was a sobering reminder of just how far we still have to go to end racial injustice in North America. Today on Waking the Red Weekly, presented by Footy Talks, we'll be joined by Mike Newell, and Dr. Tej Sahota from the Toronto FC BIPOC Fan Coalition to discuss how their newly formed group is looking to create change both inside and outside BMO Field. My name is Mitchell Tierney, and I'm joined as always by Jeffrey P. Nesker and Michael Singh. How are you guys doing this week? Good, good. Uh, it's an yeah. important uh, conversation we're about to have. So, Yeah, great, Mitch. Thanks for having us. And just off the top, really well said. Um, Obviously, it's a very sensitive topic and we're going to sort of tread lightly here, but it is important that we do use our platform to spread this message and raise awareness because we are all battling the uh, the fight that is against, you know, social injustice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as I said, uh, Mike Newell and, and Dr. Tej will be joining us in, in just a moment here. But um, yeah, I, I, as I said, I think it, it, it was good to see MLS, at least MLS players stand up in, in the way they did. And, um, you know, I wanted to give a particular shout out to Mark Anthony Kay, you know, knowing he's Canadian. Um, I think the way he's, he's taken a leadership role in all of this has been, um, you know, really good to see. And, and he's been very outspoken. So um, yeah, uh, again, shout out to him and, and everything he's had to say on, on these issues. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've, I've been impressed with the, uh with how outspoken he's been because he's obviously got the bullseye uh, of being Canadian and it didn't, it hasn't affected uh, uh, his perspective in any way, shape and form. And I, I applaud that. Mm -hmm. It's just another Canadian that's, you know, becoming a leader in, in world soccer. And, you know, he's the, a little bit, I guess we can, we can swim a little bit on the pitch. He's becoming a leader on the pitch and it's great to see that he's becoming a leader off the pitch. Um, how old is he? I think he's only 24 years old or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And it, that's just extremely impressive. Uh, it's great to see and keep, keep going, man. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when, when he, uh, when he was talking about his experiences with TFC and owned up to the fact that maybe he wasn't ready to be a first team player before they let him go. Uh, I knew this was a special person that had a, a really, 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 really smart, uh, really good head on his shoulders and, and, and the, the level of accountability I, I found uh, uh, quite inspiring. So it's, it, you know, it's no surprise for me to see him uh, jump to the challenge of social issues. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we're now joined by Mike Newell and uh, Dr. Tej Zahoda um, from the BIPOC Fan Coalition, Toronto C BIPOC Fan Coalition. Guys, really appreciate you taking the time to, to join the show this week. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, I wanted to, to just start by, you know, asking uh, how this coalition was formed and, and you know, the reasoning behind uh, the, its formation. Uh, yeah, so I, I think, you know, forming the coalition 
um, was sort of a two-part process. One was this idea around, you know, what is representation like at the club for um, for BIPOC fans? Um, I sort of made a call out to, to people who would be interested uh, in this because in my experience, um, you know, helping to run a supporter group in the South End and having a little taste of, of sort of connecting with the club um, from a head office perspective um, and then also dealing with leadership of other supporter groups and other fans. Um, I just found that there wasn't a huge uh, voice in terms of BIPOC uh, people. A lot of the time I sat around the table and I might be one of two uh, people that were uh, people of color around the table. And, and I just sort of initially thought like, you know, what, what can we do uh, to bring, um, you know, people of color, black people, indigenous people together to talk about the club that they love and also talk about their experiences um, in BMO Field. And if there are ways that we can uh, improve that and bring better representation to, to the club. So that was really the, the genesis of forming this. And this has come together pretty quickly. So we're still very much in the infant stages in terms of um, organizing and, and putting together who and what we are. Uh, but obviously, uh, Tej has been a big part of this, helping us put this together. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, we, you know, as we get on our feet in terms of organization, I think you'll hear more in terms of initiatives and things that we're doing to help improve the experience at BMO Field. It's not to take away anybody's fun. It, it's not to uh, say that, um, you know, you, 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 you can't have fun at BMO Field. This is about, you know, representing you know, the idea that Toronto is this diverse place, but sometimes you don't feel like you see it in terms of its representation. So how do we best do that? And how do we do that in, a, in an authentic way? Mm -hmm. And Mike, for our readers, and honestly for myself too, how does something like this sort of operate? Um, I'm a big fan in sort of what you guys are doing, uh, but just so for people who, who would want to get involved, how does something like this operate? And what are sort of their expectations, I guess? Yeah, um, great question. So, you know, really what we're trying to be is kind of a, a bridge between our fans, our allies, you know, uh, to the Toronto FC head office. Um, and we're trying, what we're trying to do is shed like kind of an unseen types of racism or microaggressions that are, that are in the stadium. Um, not only just to bring that to the club's attention, but also talk to fans about experiences that BIPOC people in the stadium feel that, and, you know, that they may not understand or because just simply because they don't have to deal with racism, it's not something that is prevalent in their lives. Um, just because it is, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist at BMO Field. Or just because you haven't seen an incident doesn't mean that these things don't happen. And, you know, it, it's about trying to shed some light on that. And, and obviously, you know, as we're going along and as we're having our meetings, we're realizing that, you know, there's a lot of different things that are, that are in people's mind that they just haven't been able to talk about before because it just has, there hasn't been a platform for that yet. Right. Whether it's diversity, inclusion, um, bringing voices of black, indigenous people of color, you know, regardless of the race and gender. And I, I, I want to take a quick second to recognize the fact that, you know, you sort of, you guys were talking about Mitchell in your opening statement there, you were talking about, you know, the NBA and, and different leagues sort of taking a, taking a, a initial stand on this. Um, you know, I think that 
we have to recognize that women have played and, and especially black women have played a huge role in in getting this message out. Um, so, you know, that's something that we're focusing on as well. Um, and then in regards to how we're connecting and being that bridge for fans, it's a safe space to talk about these things um, and in uh, a safe space to suggest and bring change uh, to BMO Field and, and by extension, you know, bringing that change to BMO Field also means bringing change to our communities as well outside of BMO Field. Uh, so as again, as we grow, as we get a solid grounding of who we are and who we're going to impact, um, there's already talk about how do we impact, you know, priority neighborhoods or, or neighborhoods that we feel have been underserved or represented by the club. Um, and, you know, I've just had a discussion with somebody from, from head office just this morning about this. So, um, you know, I think there's, there's, there's moves, there's baby steps that we're taking to get to that place. And I think there's a recognition that a coalition like ours can, can be a, a voice at the table. Now, Mike, I know it's, it's early days and uh, I, I appreciate that, that the goals right now seem to be um, pretty specific to TFC and the BMO field experience, but I wonder, um, have you seen inclination of this occurring around the league? Have you uh, been reached out to by other alike groups, maybe at other teams in other markets around the MLS? Yeah, great question. So, um, and this question came up to me just recently. Uh, so we have had um, initial reach outs for some groups. They're mainly supporter groups. Um, and just to be clear, the, the BIPOC coalition is not a supporter group. You know, we're not necessarily in the, the South End or anything like that. This is about fans from all over the stadium and, and even those who want, cannot afford to have season tickets or come to games every single time. It doesn't mean you're less of a fan. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but we've had some reach outs from some of those groups as far as I've seen. Um, and I could be wrong again, I, I can't see everywhere. Um, you know, there isn't a, uh, a direct coalition like we're trying to build at the current moment, uh, at other clubs. If there are, I'm happy to, to reach out and talk to them and see what's worked for them. What hasn't, you know, work on, co uh, collaboration, cross -colla collaboration. I think that's important. Um, but we've been reached out by supporter groups from, you know, Madison, Wisconsin, like Forward Madison, from the Richmond Kickers, uh, supporter groups, you know, from Chicago, um, you know, from Utah as well. So it's, it's, it, there's been some really great uh, reach outs and a lot of encouraging words. It's now, all right, we've had those encouraging words. Where's the action next, right? And, and I think that's sort of the next step we'll, we'll need to take. Okay, so speaking about next steps, and again, I know it's early days, but uh, what are the goals, the first goals that you'd like to see, the first real uh, steps of change that you would like to push through? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I'll throw some of this to Tej as, as well. Um, you know, for me, one of the big ones, and I know this has been brought up in our meetings, is trying to make uh, BMO a safe space for all people, right? And, and whether that's looking at the FAGN code of conduct, whether that is, um, looking at more policies around the stadium and around the match day experience that are viewed through an anti-racist, anti-sexist lens. And, um, you know, um, that those are, those are probably the most immediate goals. Um, right now, I think there is a longer term view of how do we get into communities, right? I think that's sort of a long-term play and that takes time because, you know, there's a lot of people you need to reach out to and, and, um, 
and get their expertise on this, right? Uh, you know, we're not claiming to be experts in, in every field, um, but I think there's there's a lot of learning that we need to do in order to build those long-term goals out. But for the short term right now, we're, we're looking at how do we, you know, improve the, the match day experience at BMO? How do we make sure that fans that come in know that they're all welcomed um, and, and have a, a truly representative experience at the club? Perfect, wonderful. Yeah, no, right on. Uh, Tesh, what's going on? I see you over there. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Tesh, you had a really great article for our site yesterday. Um, It received some great traction on social media. And for those who haven't been able to read it as yet, and I highly recommend you do read it if you haven't had the opportunity, check it out. It's on our website. But for those who haven't yet, can you just echo those sort of thoughts that you had about uh, Michael Bradley uh, deciding to stand for the national anthem? Yeah. And uh, th- thanks for the kind words, Michael. I, I, I really appreciate it. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say thank you for you know affording me the platform to, to speak something like that, as opposed to just uh, some disjointed tweets. Um, of course. Before and, and I think and I think that was important to get out there, um, but the crux of the argument is just simply is um, I I worry that people were conflating standing for the anthem or kneeling for the anthem as being an equivocal uh, decision to support Black Lives Matter or not, and I'm not here to get into a deeper argument about what to what extent each athlete needs to get involved or what our expectations are. Um, of them, but just to simply destroy that completion of that argument is, and is to say that, you know, someone can be kneeling for the anthem um, and not not be doing anything else. Meanwhile, someone could be standing for the anthem um, and yet be accomplishing a lot more and be an ally. And, and, and that's what I want people to understand is that being an ally of um, black uh, lives of, of indigenous and people of color means a lot. Sorry for that. There's a, a steamship going off in the back. <laughs> um, that, that, I mean, that being an ally means a lot more than just the actions that you take for 45 seconds for a song. Um, and that, you know, as Colin Kaepernick had once, it was never about the anthem. Um, and so that argument can go both ways. If you're going to criticize Colin Kaepernick um, for kneeling and pe- him saying, look, it's not about the anthem, then likewise, that argument exists conversely is that if you're going to stand for the anthem it's not about the anthem we would rather that players be taking positive steps um, and using their platform for positive engagement and for betterment um, and 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 I want to ask this anthem issue uh, it's not about that it never was about that it's not about disrespecting the flags or the troops it is simply about oppression and brutality against a group of people and full stop there Mm-hmm. No, that's that's really well said. And I think Michael Bradley said this after. It's just that the anthem and that whole message has sort of got lost. It's just it's not about the anthem itself, as you said. It's about what you do afterwards. And you, you mm-hmm. summed that up perfectly. So thank you for, for saying that. Um, I'll pass it on to there to Mitch for, for the next question or Jeff. Jeff well, I, I mean, I just wanted to mention uh, Tej that came up with a wonderful uh, uh, word, slacktivism. And it's so easy for this to become slacktivism. You know, you do you, you put in your, your 45 seconds for the cameras and uh, then you, and then you're, you're, you've done your due diligence for the day. Um, the question must be asked: 
why are we still forcing the issue with national anthems in North American sports? I mean, it seems like that day is done. And uh, I just, I just wanted to know every your feelings on the issue of the national anthems. Um, I mean, I, I can take a, I can take a stab at it first and then let Mike go afterwards. Cause it does become a little bit of a, a of sometimes a personal matter for people. Um, and I think the, you know, a national anthem game between Toronto FC versus Nashville. Um, <laughs> where's the patriotism in that? And it, and it, and it, and it really does get to this like agnostic kind of uh, BS and this, uh, you know, military flyover stuff that starts kind of harboring feelings of unwelcomeness sometimes. And so I, I think that the national anthem in and it by itself, um, I'd be, I'd be, uh, um, understanding and, and, and I would have no issue of it being played, but I understand that for far too many people that there is, you know, the related um, stuff that's become associated with it, the symbolism that's become associated with it, all the kind of the pro-military stuff that's been associated with it, where it's taken a life of its own. So um, if, if, if um, are feeling that that is something that needs to be removed from games, um, I would totally be with it. I was, once very, um, you know, uh, more opinionated on the subject since kind of softened a little bit just because it's almost, uh, you know, to me uh, and, and Jeff and Mike and Mitch, I, I really kind of keep reiterating this. It's not about the anthem. Um, so standing, kneeling, giving players the time to do this and then spending 45 minutes on Talking Heads Radio and listening to Skip Bayless pontificate about what should have been done or what shouldn't have been done misses the whole point. So mm -hmm. if this anthem has become a an argumentative point, then remove it. But to me, it's never about them. It's about what do these players do with their platform? What is happening? What are clubs doing? What are people in position of power actually undertaking? And far too much, the argument is very easily diluted into this point. 35 second of what did during the anthem and nobody ever follows back up and says well okay well what did he do in his off time and so you know and that's why uh, michael the impetus to write the article was was well we know what michael does in his off time it, it's been there it's it's takes a little firing up of the google machine to figure out exactly um been been done by by michael um i have the um privilege of, of having a mutual friend with the Bradleys, um, which no way, you know, sparked me to, to write this article. It's not a defense of Michael Bradley. It could have been Jonathan Osorio, the Altidore. It uh, could have been anybody, but we know what the Bradleys do. Their, their work in Toronto stands for itself. He, he's put his name out there long before there were fancy hashtags, um, long before, you know, slacktivism became the key thing. And and, and, and Jeff, you know, I, 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 I should have included this in the article, but I, you know, I, I was th thinking about it as you've been writing. Um, when Colin Kaepernick did the kneeling, there was sacrifice that came with it, right? And then the slogan would um, stand for something, even if it means sacrificing everything. And, and that meant something. But, you know, if everybody can climb Mount Everest and there's no joiners and there's there's no if everybody um you know, it's it's just become a slacktivism so long-winded answer the question be done yeah if you remove them if not feel about that would want to make sure that it doesn't distract from the actual conversation that we need to have 
Yeah, um, and I think Tej really summed up a lot of my thoughts on the anthem as well in terms of, you know, it's, it's important, but it is worthy also to mention, and I think one of um, our viewers today it mentioned it as well. Look, the whole reason the anthem is at sporting events to begin with was to propagate the Second World War, right, and, and to, to get um, people on the home front to buy into the war. Um, after that, it just became what they're now, what, what sort of MLS is now and other leagues are saying is now tradition, right? Mm -hmm. It is now tradition to play it. We're so used to it. You know, even people that I've spoken to who are TFC fans who also claim to be anti-racist um, also then turn around and say, well, we might as well keep the anthem. We always put our scarves up. That's a tradition mm -hmm. that we have built at the club. Why would you get rid of it? Um, and to my answer to that is, you know, we're not like Liverpool. We're not a hundred and something year old club, right? We're, mm -hmm. we're at best, what, 15 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities to build new traditions and to, to build new opportunities that don't include the national anthem, whether American or Canadian. Um, obviously if you've read articles, you, you can, and, and look, if you just look into the words or the extended words of the American national anthem, um, you know, there are odes to slavery in it, mm -hmm. right? Like, um, the, the, the going to war to protect slavery. So, um, in the Canadian national anthem, you know, um, look, I love this country. I'm born here. My parents um, were born in Jamaica and chose this place to live and, and become citizens and, you know, chose this place to raise me. And I'm grateful to this country for that. But I'm also, you know, I also reserve the right to be critical of it. Um, mm -hmm. And I think being critical of it is the most patriotic thing you can do, because from there you can really affect change. And, and making the country better. I believe in what this country can be um, or what it purports to be. Um, but we, we have to have these discussions and we have to be open to, you know, looking at things like playing the anthem before a game and say, do we really need this? Does this really reflect the people that are coming to the games or watching on television? Um, does it enhance the experience? I say no. Mm -hmm. um, I, I also think as Tej pointed out, like it, it ends up being a conversation piece that takes away from the opportunities to talk about real change, mm -hmm. right? Instead, like you said, we end up on these talk pieces or think pieces about, you know, whether, you know, you're a patriot or whether, you know, um, you know, not playing the anthem is disrespect to soldiers that come to our game. No, one, MLSE runs a military night for every single one of its properties. Um, there can be discussion even around whether or not we need to have a military night, but, um, but that's another question. For, that's another conversation for another day. I think that, um, you know, the, the idea is that you can show respect for your country, love your nation, and not necessarily have to play the anthem at the start of a soccer game or hockey game or basketball game, right? I don't think that necessarily entails patriotism because in a lot of the times when I'm around and I look around and I'm a cat, I've been a capo, I've stood there in the capital box, looking around at people mouthing the words, people looking at their phones, people, like it, like going to the bathroom and, and mm -hmm. pulling a George George Hill, if you understand that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, like, is the anthem really that important to you? Like, I, I would say no, right? And, mm -hmm. and the people who keep standing up for this anthem, I think, is is holding on to a straw man argument, right? They're, yeah, they're, absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're hanging on to a straw, straw man argument to say, like, look, this is tradition and this is showing patriotism to our country. You know, if, if I, you know, if I bring this into a Raptors context, yeah. you know, we play the national anthem, 
what we have two guys on the on the Raptors roster that are Canadian, right? Like, and in the end of the day, you know, it, it, where is this sort of idea of patriotism? Why does it need to be in, in a sporting context like this? And this also goes to another point where. Um, you know, throughout the history of football and, and other sports as well, but I'll take football because we all love football and we love the game and, and we talk about it all the time. Um, it's been used as a political tool, right, mm-hmm. to, to propagate bad governments, populist governments, fascist leaders. Um, so why not remove that? If you're really about, I want politics out of my sports, great, get rid of the anthem. Like, that, yeah. there you go, right? Like, that's a way to do it. Um, you know, uh, and, and I, I think from there, you really can start to talk about, okay, how does your club, whether it's Toronto FC, whether you support a CPL club, whether you're supporting a club in, in the U.S., um, how can your club now be a part of it, a, a, a community and how can it impact real change within, com- within that community, right? Larry Tannenbaum. Who is who is the owner of MLSC for all intents and purposes, right? Along mm-hmm. with George Copeland and the Rogers family, right? These are people who can make change, right? They're old white men mm-hmm. who can make change, right? Yep. They, they have access to city politics, they have access to provincial politics, you know, they have access to the federal government, right? Like if you can get the amount of money they got from governments to to do renovations on the stadium, and if you can get all these sort of contritions out of the government for for funding then you can use, in, in that same tone, use that power to create change within Toronto, southwestern Ontario, and conversely, potentially the rest of the country, right? Mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. that's where I think the conversation needs to be. The anthem itself, as they mentioned, is, is, uh, is sort of just a thread in the wind that people get really attracted to because it's kind of like uh, instant reaction thing that you can put on social media. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's been dumbed down to, to, to almost fighting words. You know, there's a lot of subtext in, in the arguments around the anthem right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and that's I, one of the I things that we're the, fighting for. I, Go ahead, Tesh. Yeah, sir. I think the other thing to do is if, if you remove the anthem, Jeff, you remove the crutch that um, both people on both sides, quite frankly, are, have been you know relying on it and getting back to that piece uh, of, of Bradley is, um, if we remove the crutch, then fine. We've taken politics out of yours, out of, out of the sport. Now, now, you know, let's 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 remove all the symbols of it in the mates, um, and you know the camouflage uniforms, right? Though mm-hmm. so there, there's a certain bit of, uh, I don't want to say the odd, but I, I, I don't know if I can't have your cake and eat it too at this in this occasion of saying. Uh, I, I want my athletes to be, you know, respectful of this, this, and this. Um, but and you know, you can't have any of those symbols of patriotism, of which, as Mike said, the most you know patriotic thing that you can do is to challenge and make your country raise its bar. And so, if if you remove the the argument of the anthem, should we be standing or should we be kneeling? Then we can start getting into the nitty gritty details of what our sports organizations actually doing, what our athletes actually doing. Um, you know, we spent two weeks um, debating whether more than one player should have had their hand on Matt Duma's shoulder um, around the NHL, and not once did we ever get past that topic of going. There are 31 billionaires, um, including Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, that own hockey teams. What have they done? other than put on one single banner that says we skate for black lives. Yeah, BS. 
you know, let's 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 start let's start getting into a deeper conversation about this. And the minute that the uh, the, the bandaid of the anthem is removed, I think we can begin to have those conversations. Uh, do you think sports can ever be apolitical? I mean, I'm just I'm just thinking about you know football as an extension to intercity warfare, as like in the old firm matches and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I I don't know if I if I can necessarily see sports at one point being entirely apolitical. No. No, and, and, and nor do I want it to be, Jeff. Uh, and let, let me be clear: is is that uh, you know I, I don't I don't think the a match it, it's a becomes a Democrat versus Republicans kind of event every time you go to a match. But this idea, I have this huge you know uh, issue with people who go, well, I, I I watch sports or I don't get into politics. Like, congratulations! So you don't get into you know your kids' education, your <laughs> property taxes, your healthcare system. Like, what what? People, can, you know, think politics is how much it actually permeates our everyday lives are two different holy uh, subjects. So, uh, you know, I don't think that the two can separate clearly, but at least eliminate some of these arguments about the symbolism uh, of these things is, is, is what I would say. Yeah. Uh, before um, we, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, sorry, go ahead, Mitchell. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say uh, before we, uh, before we let you guys go, I did want to, Ask quickly your thoughts. Uh, I know you are an MLS-based uh, group, but your thoughts on the Canadian Premier League's response because um, you know they are in the unique position of being probably the only Canada-only league that's going on right now, and and certainly this isn't just an American issue. We tend to um, you know kind of look down sometimes on on the south of the border, but you know systemic racism is in Canada both in terms of when it comes to Black and Indigenous people as well. So. I want to get your thoughts on what the Canadian Premier League and, and its players have been doing. Yeah, I think it's been actually quite good. Um, you know, the first match, the fact that it dedicated, um, you know, significant time on its virtual stadium. If you watch the virtual stadium feed, I know some people don't like it. Um, I actually, I, I kind of <laughs> actually like it, um, you know, it, to, to Black Lives Matter and to say that very clearly, um, I, I think is important. And obviously the players took a further step, though they didn't boycott their game. And I, for one, I, I completely understand why they wouldn't uh, or couldn't uh, really in the end of the day. Um, but, you know, the statements that they've been making have been pretty big. And, and obviously you have some players in the league, um, some visual, visible players like Kwame Uwa and uh, Chris Nanko um, and Kyle Porter um, and Jean-Andrew Baptiste and, and things like that, making pretty big statements. Um, Paul Mutuka, obviously, mm-hmm. um, out in Pacific, uh, being, you know, the only uh, black head coach in the, in the league. Um, you know, I think have made some really great statements. I, again, just like we've sort of been talking over this last 20 or so minutes, um, the, what the challenge for the CPL and for its teams are going to be after the, after leaving the bubble and the Island games are done is how do you now transition these great statements and these great visual moments into tangible action items. Right. Um, for I, for one, think uh, acknowledgement of a players' union is important, but that's mm. the conversation for another day, right? Because there, you then have player power and representation into into the league, and you know that's that's how you end up with the NBA players making the moves they've made, and 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 MLS and the WNBA, um, and eventually the NHL, um, you know, Major League Baseball. But um, <laughs> you know, but I I think that uh, you know for, for the most part the league has done a great job of that, and I know that it, it that is an important topic, and especially um, 
and I'll, I'll pull, pull this into a slightly personal context, just in terms of, you know, obviously I used to work for Forge FC um, and, you know, the, the, the sort of incident, alleged incident um, at last year's Canadian uh, championship game between Cavalry and Forge at Tim Hortons Field. Um, and, and obviously there was a lot of back and forth on that. And, and I think one of the things that the, the CPL could take as a tangible action item out of this is like, okay, you know, it took Canada soccer a long time to say anything to come up with a ruling or to send us to an independent arbitrator to rule on this. I think more transparency on how these processes take place and, and, and therefore you now have a base to say, okay, when a situation like this happened or an alleged situation like this happens, we know what the steps are being taken. Cause when you, you don't have transparency in those, that's when things get out of hand. That's when rumors start. That's yep. when animosity builds um, over things like this. And, and, you know, the, I know the Forge FC players um, back Peter, um, back Rainers with this and, 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 and obviously the arbitrator came back and said that no incident had taken place. Um, but I think that that lack of transparency really hurt Canada soccer in terms of its credibility on issues like this. Hmm. Well, Mike, Dr. Tej, we really appreciate your time. And I think I speak for all of us when we say appreciate the, the efforts of you guys and, and the TFC BIPOC fan coalition um, for making sure that BMO field and, and Canadian soccer in general becomes more inclusive. So yeah, thanks for, thanks for coming on and having this discussion. Thank you, thank you guys so much for coming on. Yeah, for thanks sure. for having us. We'll be in touch for sure. Thank you guys. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thanks well, guys. I, I, um... Nope. What happened? <laughs> Bye Dej. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks again uh, to, to Mike and, and Dr. Tej for coming on and, and having that discussion. Um, you know, obviously one that, that doesn't stop here in terms of both the discussion and the, the action that I think needs to take place to combat racism in our world and our sport. Um, you know, I think you mentioned yeah. slacktivism a little bit and, you know, as, as a white man, certainly it, sometimes you, you just want to move on, right? Like it seems like, you know, with the year we've had, you just want things to get back to normal, but there's people out there who based on the color of their skin can't do that. So, you know, I, th- I think until that, until society changes, you know, we've got to keep, um, keep talking about this, keep taking action. And we all, you know, have a role in, in demanding a more just and, and equitable society. I mean, the one thing, the one, the one positive, I guess, out of this, this ridiculous 2020 is that change is coming, whether we like it or not. Um, you know, we're, we're remaking the world almost on a daily basis. So the opportunity to remake a better world has presented itself. And I'm, I'm, Please, this punch that uh, that people are jumping and rising to the challenge, um, because whether we like it or not, uh, tomorrow is not going to look like yesterday. So let's have tomorrow look even better than we could possibly imagine. Uh-huh. Well said, Jeff. Well said, Mitch. Um, credit to both of you guys. You guys did a great job today. Honestly speaking, that was just one of the uh, just best conversations that I've had in, in any show that I've been able to do in my my short career so far so um that was that was awesome again thank you to mike and tesh for coming yeah. on and and when i say like we'll, we'll be in touch you know you guys know wake in the red you guys know where we stand and um you will hear more from from that group through oh, us absolutely. for sure absolutely without question yeah. Yeah, certainly. And, uh, you know, as I said, soccer is is a footnote on today's show, but um, I did want to bring up, you know, an, an just incredible accomplishment again by a Canadian player, and that's Kadisha Buchanan, fourth straight Champions League in four years, the age of 24. I mean, 
Um, you know, as much as we celebrated Alfonso Davies last week, like <laughs> this is, this is obviously an incredible accomplishment something that, you know, um, is, is huge for the sport in this country that, you know, back to back weeks, we had a man and then a woman <laughs> lift the champions league trophy in Europe. Like that's, that's incredible. Yeah. She's done it for a fourth time. She's 24 years old. <laughs> what were you guys doing? Mitch, you just turned 25 the other day, didn't you? Yeah. you know, don't you have four champions league by now? What's going on? Europa league qualifiers. That's as good as I <laughs> <laughs> But serious shout out. Do you know the Brampton zone? Uh, Kadishi Buchanan there. Um, making Fonzie's look like, look like nothing, eh? With, yeah. with her fourth. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she's she's incredible man she's she really incredible is. she I, I was at a, a little kind of get together the other weekend and there was this little girl and you know who her favorite player was it was kadisha buchanan that was her role model looking up and you know we're starting to see these names ashley lawrence uh, again kadisha buchanan jordan heidema like all these big up-and-coming canadian stars are going to be the next wave not only like men's soccer which you keep talking about fonzie jonathan david but also women's soccer mm-hmm. and we are really living in like a glory age when it comes to canada soccer in general oh absolutely absolutely and uh you know I, a lot of people uh for the last uh, round of the women's world cup were talking about how you know the the canada was a was a was a nation on the decline i I tend to disagree when you look at uh, the success of our our women's team players in club football. I think uh, we're going we're going to have a chip on our shoulder when uh, when they play meaningful competitive games again, and uh, I think they're going to come out of the gates just screaming, just screaming for victory. Mm-hmm. They're itching for some redemption for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, barring the you know things stay relatively good you know we'll see them this summer at the at the summer olympics so a massive year of course for for the canadian women's national team as well as the men's um let's let's move on to talking about uh, tonight's game toronto fc um you know they can they can tie the mls record for most consecutive regular season games obviously there's going to be so many hilarious asterisks uh, (laughs) when you look back at the wikipedia article on this i mean it's like okay, they won all these games in 2019. Then they won three games at the MLS's back tournament that they did this weird Canadian thing where they played all the Canadian teams. But, um, you know, as many asterisks as you can put, I don't think it takes away from, you know, an incredible amount of consistency and quality from from this side. And, yeah, you know, I, I think we've seen clearly that they are definitely the best team in Canada over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and we're uh, also going to add in Josie Alter and Iowa Canola to that mix as well um, right. tonight. So look look forward to that. And sorry, Jeff, you were going to say something? Oh, nothing. I just uh, wanted to bring up our stats from Martin that were locked. Uh, Shout out, Martin Bailey. If TFC wins tonight, they only need one point from their final two games of the Canadian Round Robin Infinite Cup to advance to the Voyagers Cup final. Uh, Mitch, I know you have some tiebreaker shenanigans you want to bring up to sort of put a pal in my positivity there. Well, I'm just, you know, it's just hilarious that they don't have head-to-head as a tiebreaker for this. I mean, Toronto FC should be able to clinch tonight by, you know, having beaten both Vancouver and uh, Montreal twice each, but um, there's still a chance they could get caught on goal difference. That's so. just personal opinion, Mish. That's just personal mm-hmm. opinion. <laughs> uh, we, yeah. have something, we have something from George here. It's another mm-hmm. scroller. Um but, uh, I mean, what I take is just squeaking by doesn't seem like a recipe for success unless you're Portugal 2016 or Greece 20, 2004. So George sort of answered his own question there. I mean, success is success is success, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, 
listen, a lot of teams are talk about Vancouver, right? I mean, Mark DeSantos mm-hmm. on our sister show two weeks ago was saying the lack of consistency has hurt his team. TFC has had the same weird pathway and yet we're still winning. So, I mean, there, that, that, I, that's the end. Of, I'm, I'm entirely positive about this, right? Like one, nothing wins, get win championships, you know, mm-hmm. Portugal, 2016, Greece, 2004, uh, they didn't play the most exciting attacking football, but it doesn't matter to the trophy in their case. So, you know. I hear where George is coming from. Um, but at the same time, we also have to think back. It's kind of tough at this point, but think back to those days back in March, April, May, when TFC were sc- scraping together to get results at the beginning of the season. There are times all almost every season where they drop points, you know. I don't think mm-hmm. – I can't – in recent memory, can you guys think back last time you know, seven, eight games in the season, TFC's first in the league. Like, well, I, re- I remember 2017 being a lot more inconsistent than history has written about it. Like I remember there being a lot of uh, one nothing games and, and some, and some concern. There was a slow start too, if, if memory serves. Yeah. The, no, yeah. I don't season. think they won in their first five, I think. Yeah. 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 So the fact that they are picking up points now and they're getting a head start, it, there is fair question concern for concern because we haven't played those teams like an LAFC or, you know, like an LA Galaxy even. I'll throw them in the mix. Like there are bigger challenges than Montreal and Vancouver, which is fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that being said, LAFC what, what are, are you, garbage what, fire right now. What are, what are we really knocking TFC for? Right, we're knocking them for the way that they looked while picking up three points. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that, that's where I stand. Yeah, that's, right a, that's a strange hill to die on, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just not yeah. winning good enough for me. Right? <laughs> yeah. so. If there was ever a year to bank points, too, I think this is the, this is the year yeah. where you want to have those points in pocket so that you don't have to worry about what permutations of – MLS returns is back. You're going <laughs> to. Yeah. And I just want to preface that too by saying, uh, George, you're not alone at all in that sentiment to you in 99% of the United States and, you know, half of Canada as well, who is thinking, you know, does, is this really legit? Um, and we're going to get that answer hopefully in phase two when, when that schedule drops, uh, hopefully soon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not at all going to affect my enjoyment of getting back in the, in the champions league. If we got it by playing Montreal and Vancouver and <laughs> Hey, no. don't look past that Canadian Premier League team in the final, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before we do finish up here, I did want to quickly give a shout out to Jonathan Osorio. 250 appearances for the club. Um, you know, a player who ha- has been just so important to everything Toronto FC's done. I mean, and had some big moments. You look at 2017 when, you know, he didn't necessarily play the whole year, but then was able to fight back and and give some big performances in the playoffs. And now he's, you know, one of the first names on the team sheet. So, you know, in terms of Canadian players uh, domestically, even internationally, you know, this is, this is a role model player that um, has, has kind of bucked the odds to be a consistent starter in MLS because there are not many Canadians <laughs> consistently starting in MLS, unfortunately, and Oso is one of the main ones. Uh-huh. What, do you, Greg, what do you – oh, sorry, Mike? I was going to say Greg Vanny called him the epitome of Toronto FC and the epitome of the organization. Which is mm-hmm. probably the highest praise you can you can give somebody in Jonathan Azurgo's case. Um, we know as a local kid, you know he he's he's from Toronto and he he loves Toronto see through and through, and he's become now that role model for Canadian kids are looking up to to that to kind of get to where he is. You know what I mean? He is what you want, what the average you know Canadian kid wants to become and it's great to you know that he's also taken it all in stride there are question marks about his 
his, you know, behavior, his, his work ethic, name it. There are question marks on the list with John Smith-Zario. And mm-hmm. as Mitch said, he overcame all of it. And it's great to see him make 250 appearances for the club, as Greg Vaney says. I personally hope that he can make 250 more because I, I, I'm all for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just going to say, what what is his secret weapon? Because for me, it's how comfortable he is under pressure. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that that's, uh, that's something that we miss when he's not on the side. He has absolutely no issue going up against an, like a packed-in defense and looking for a pass and, 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 and maybe slowing down the tempo of the game a little bit. Yeah, I feel like he's done a really great job of finding his identity on the pitch. When, when he first came to Toronto FC, I feel like he, he was playing – or when he first like broke through with TFC, mm-hmm. he was playing at a bunch mm-hmm. of different positions. If I remember correctly, it was like was, left yeah. mid, right mid. You got to throw him mm-hmm. at center attacking mid, then you move it back to holding mid. But you know now he's found that identity as that true number eight kind of central midfielder. You can throw him on the left wing if you want. Um, but as Jeff said, it's his ability to control the game and settle the game. And I think we saw that um, when at the MLS's back tournament when he wasn't playing mm-hmm. for TFC and. Uh, we were missing that sort of extra body beside Bradley, who's able yeah. to, you know, drop in and receive a pass, turn, l- look ahead, and you know, spray a ball. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's he's fine with his identity in the club. He's he's tough to play against on the other side of the ball. Um, so yeah, all, all credit to Ozo there. Yeah, for sure. On a team with so many technicians, having a player who rarely, if ever, loses the ball is so important and who's still able to to make the important passes you need to to progress the ball forward. I think Osorio's, yeah, as you said, really found his role doing that. And uh, I also want to give a shout out to Ashton Morgan because that was the original Mr. Mr. Toronto TSC, FC and, yeah. a, and a guy who kind of, you know, paved the way for people like Oso to be able to to come in and have the careers they had. So uh, big shout out to Ash for Dan, sure. Is he, he's at RSL now, isn't he? Yes, oh, he is, yeah. oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, not, not a lot of playing time, unfortunately, for Ash and Morgan at, at uh, RSL currently, but hopefully – Hopefully he breaks in because, you know, he is, for me, still a quality MLS player. But uh, I think we'll we'll end the show there, guys. Michael, Jeff, thank you as always for joining me. Um, thank you, everyone, of course, who watched and or will listen um, here, be it on Zoom, Facebook, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, of course, to, to Mike and Dr. Tej for coming on and, of course, having an important conversation. Um, make sure to go follow the Toronto FC BIPOC Fan Coalition on Twitter and uh, join us again, same place, same time, next Tuesday.